0: All right. Good morning again. Let's set this down here. All right, victorious perspective. This is uh, actually something we talked about at Equip on the teen side a couple weeks ago. I'm recycling my lesson. Things have been a little hectic. You guys weren't there, so you don't even know. Uh, but the theme was victory, and uh, so. Today, we're going to be talking about victory in a victorious perspective. But to begin, and I've kind of asked this question before, and my answer before was making Italian subs at Quiznos, okay? But I want you to think about this right now. Uh, What sport or activity could you uh, compete for and win at the highest level? Okay, be thinking about that in your mind. Maybe you're a great athlete, maybe a great artist of some kind. Uh, I know that uh, there's a show right now called Lego Masters out there. I love watching that. Incredible artists doing Legos, competing at the highest level. Uh, I was just spent a lot of time at camp this summer, and uh, I'm not going to brag, but I'm pretty good at cornhole. So one of these days, if you guys want to challenge me, Miss Diane's pretty good at cornhole too. This duo, I don't think we can be beat. But as we think about these activities, um, it's funny because you can take almost anything and make it into a competition, right? Uh, This is something that, as I was a kid, this didn't really exist, but now exists. People playing video games at the highest level, being paid a lot of money to play things like Call of Duty or Madden football. These things that my parents said, you should only spend a little bit of time. Other parents said, spend as much time as humanly possible because you can become a millionaire playing video games. Crazy. You can even become a professional Monopoly player. It's crazy, like, this guy, I love this guy's shirt, Monopoly banker, I just hope that he's an actual banker and like in his spare time he's like banking for Monopoly. Um, That's just my, you know, fiction, my fan fiction about this guy. This is a beard competition, okay? I have a beard, it's probably looking funny right now because I was wearing my mask. Um, But these guys go and they compete Who has the best beard? Emery, are you trying to do this maybe? And there's different things. You can have the longest natural beard. You can have the artist's beard. This guy's face is literally covered in hair from his chin all around his head. It's crazy. If you want to see more images like this, just type in National Beard Competition, and there's crazier ones than this. Uh, But one of my favorites right here, I don't know if you've seen this on Netflix, it's called The Floor is Lava. Literally, the game that we played as kids where we pretend that the floor is lava in our living room, jumping across furniture and jumping on whatever, is now an actual competition where you can win actual money playing The Floor is Lava. What I'm getting at is that there's so many different things that you can do and compete at that at one time were not competitions, but now are. I love the Olympics now. Um, I love that skateboarding is part of the Olympics now. It is an awesome thing to watch if, you, if you've seen it. I mean, so fun. There's 13-year-old girls from Brazil and all these amazing athletes competing at the highest level, winning gold in sports that were not competed in before. It's really cool. Um, my next question is a little bit different. So we talked about the highest level. We talked about beard competitions and the floor is lava. But could you compete in whatever activity you are thinking of at the Olympics? It's a little different right? I might be decent at cornhole at camp, right? But could I play cornhole in the Olympics? Probably not. Why? Well, I have this small circle of Central Floridians that I'm beating at, and they're teenagers <laughs> at camp, right? What if a German guy or a Czechoslovakian girl or whatever comes? It's, it's, good. it's a different story. I'm trying to get us to think in different sets here, okay, the, the highest level is different from the Olympics, like the highest level. And that's where things kind of get difficult to think about, okay, I might, not, I might be good in this way, but I'm probably not good in that way. My question is, why not? I have a couple clips here, you might be familiar with this, I know this is Winter Olympics, but it's Olympic season, so just, just walk with me through this. We think that we can't compete in the Olympics, but I think this example might show you that that might be a a more nuanced conversation than you thought.
1: In the World Cup, what can she deliver on here in Pyeongchang? Liz dropping in, really needing to work on that difficulty, just getting up to the top of that wall, going for these grabs, the safety grab you'll see there. You opting to get to the top of the half pipe wall, trying to show the judges she has execution. You see her not having the difficulty or the amplitude here on this front. Unfortunately, just a okay, little small and big not big grabbing out. the tricks. for the alley-oop spin down at the bottom, going to the left, and then a nice cruise 360 okay. to switch, trying to show that she has a little style down at the bottom. Would it be enough? You just tend- the judges, okay. 31.4 out, but it's not going to be
0: enough to qualify here for the finals. What did it mean to be part of this Olympic experience?
1: Oh, it's just been amazing. Um, I heard I was the first like, freestyle athlete from Hungary to make it to the Olympics. So I just wanted to make um, Hungary proud.
0: Okay, so we are Floridians. We're not usually around snow. You might not have any context for skiing. Okay, that was Elizabeth Swaney in the 2018 Olympic Games. For a little more context, this is the gold medal winner, Cassie Sharp. The only athlete
1: still to descend in this second run, Cassie Sharp. Cassie dropping in on run two, a left side 900, so clean up top, and then into the right side 900 as well. A difficult variation. Left side flared getting inverted in the half pipe and then cruising into the switch hit a right side 360 and then a switch left side 360 as well. These bottom sections are huge, a big truck driver, and what does she go on? The last hit, a left side 1080, and she stomps it. Cassie has put it down at the Olympics. Taking this sport to new Levels, Cassie Sharp.
0: Okay, and just a a little bit more perspective here. I got the highest highs these these women got to, okay? Elizabeth Swaney, 2.5 feet, not terrible. I could barely fit Cassie Sharp in this screenshot that I took. She's 4 meters, right? That's like 12 feet in the air at her highest heights, okay? My question is, how did Elizabeth Swaney... Missed 2.5 feet, land at the 2018 Olympic Games, and competing against Cassie Sharp. Missed 12 feet upside down, spinning awesomeness. Well, Elizabeth uh, really, really wanted to go to the Olympics. And and, and I I will say this. I'm not trying to throw her under the bus here. She's actually a pretty good athlete. When she was in college, she was actually on the men's rowing team at, at like Cal State. So she's an athlete. But when she was in college, she said, I want to go to the Olympics. So she decided, I'm going to try to go out for bobsled uh, with Venezuela because her grandmother happens to be from Venezuela. And they said, hey, Cassie, or excuse me, Elizabeth, you're too short. And so she said, okay, I'm going to try freestyle skiing. And her other grandmother happens to be from Hungary so she could represent Hungary in the freestyle skiing. And guess what? Hungary doesn't have a lot of women's freestyle skiers. And so the way she did this is she qualified for the Olympics by going to more events that had less than 30 competitors in the field, and she just didn't fall down. So she'd do this exact same run where she'd basically go up and down, and as long as she did not fall down, she would get enough points to basically qualify to go to the Olympics. Since then, the Olympic Committee has made more rules, so this doesn't happen. So if anybody here is like, maybe I could do this, it's going to be a little more difficult, But she was pursuing her dream. She wanted to go to the Olympics, and she did. And honestly, she didn't have, oh, I forgot to put that in there. Darn. Okay, it's okay. Uh, She did not have a lot of support. There were a lot of people tweeting out after her uh, event uh, about her being a faux Olympian, uh, that she gained the system. She didn't belong there. She's making a mockery of the Olympics, making a mockery of the sport. She is the worst type of person to some people. But, if you go to Wikipedia and you type in Elizabeth Swaney, and you scroll down, guess what it's going to say? 2018 Olympian. And if you Google search Cassie Sharp, go to her Wikipedia page, scroll down, it's also going to say 2018 Olympian. There's going to be a little gold medallion next to her name, that's a little bit different, okay? But nonetheless, they're both Olympians. But my question for you, spoiler alert, I already showed you, who is more victorious? Elizabeth Swaney, the woman who barely qualified, but is still an Olympian. Or Cassie Sharp, the amazing gold medal winning skier. And now I asked this question to a group full of teenagers and they both said, they, they played both of the sides. You could say, well, Cassie Sharp is obviously more victorious. She won the gold medal. She won the highest medal you possibly can in the event and the other people were saying, well, actually, Elizabeth Swaney didn't even work as much as, as Cassie Sharp, but she still got to achieve her dream. Her goal was achieved. She never thought she was going to win gold, but she achieved her goal. And I want you to think for a moment who is more victorious? It's a complicated question. And it really depends on your perspective, it depends on how you look at it. And uh, oh, there's the, here's the tweet I was talking about. Okay, I, I do want to read this because it's hilarious. We saw the best and the worst of the Olympics tonight. We watched Maddie Bowman try harder than probably most of us ever tried to do anything in our lives and put it all on the line. And then we saw the utter embarrassment, Elizabeth Swaney, entitled, Philippians are the worst. That's mean. But I still want you to have that mindset of who is more victorious. It depends on our perspective. Because a lot of times, we want to have rubrics in life. We want to have scorecards in life. But I want you to think for a moment about the penalty of taking that into our lives. And what happens when we bring the scorecards we use in life, and then we try to use them in our spiritual walks? When we ask ourselves, how am I more victorious in this area or this area? The scorecards that we take into life and we try to take into our spiritual walks can be very damaging. Okay, I've shared up here before, I played a lot of golf growing up. And when I was very, very competitive, I would play by myself and I would keep track of everything that I did on the course. Not only my score, I would keep track of how many fairways I hit, how many greens I hit, how many putts I would take. And after every single round, I would look at it and I would say, okay, on hole number four, I need to hit the green in regulation. On hole number five, I definitely cannot three-putt tomorrow. And I'd have all of these... Um, Lenses is through which how I would view the scorecard to make my game better the next day, the competition better the next day. But I'm telling you right now, it becomes very problematic when we take that same exact scorecard and we bring it into our walks with Christ. And I'm not saying it just has to be an athletic thing. It's much, much deeper than that. We all carry around scorecards through life. Am I good? Am I bad? And that's what we're about to talk about. What happens when we bring these into our lives? I think two things happen. One, we think everything is good. Therefore, I am good. If my scorecard looks good, I am good. If whatever I am measuring for myself checks every box, me and Jesus are good. And that can make him a problem very quickly. And the example, I think, perfectly illustrated here in Luke 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. I'm going to go back to this. Excuse me, this. And I think I've shared this before. I can just imagine this guy coming up to Jesus. He's the the teacher's pet, right, maybe? Because he's coming to Jesus and he knows exactly what Jesus is going to say at the beginning. He wants Jesus to say, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, because those things are decently easy to do, okay? I've never woken up at any point in my life and said, you know what, I'm going to try not to murder today. Okay, I'm gonna try not to uh, uh, give false testimonies. You know, lying is a little bit differently than murder, but you see what I'm saying, right? This is like the bare minimum of Christianity or Judaism as we're reading in this text. The bare minimum. But you see, the problem with our own scorecards is that we make what's virtuous. Um, we make the things that we think virtuous our reality, okay? We make the things that we want to do the most important things to do. As long as I don't murder people or steal, I'm great. That's not enough. (laughs) That is so little. But when we have our own scorecards, it might be based in Scripture, but it's made by me. And usually the things that are just made by me are not good enough for what Christ is calling us to be. And what Christ calls this man to do is to give away the thing that's taking him from him, right? But according to that guy's scorecard, everything is good. And he is good. We do the exact same thing, but we say it differently. As long as I go to church on Sunday, I am good. As long as I give on Sunday, of, my, of you know, tithe, I am good. As long as I don't, you know, cheat on my wife, I am good. Those are terrible rubrics for life. The problem is that we find virtue in the things that we find good. Therefore, we think everything is good. And that's not what Christ is calling us to do. So the first thing is, like I said, everything is good. I am good. And the flip side of this is really, really detrimental, I think, to someone's spiritual life. Everything is bad, therefore, I am bad. Two sides of the same coin. Because if we have this scorecard that says, as long as I don't do X, Y, and Z, I'm good. If we fall short in those areas, nothing is good. As long as we live by our own scorecards, right? And that means I am bad. And Christ is not calling us to have that mindset either. Because I think when we get in this mindset, and I'm going to speak for myself here, when I'm struggling with sin, a lot of times it's like, why even bother? I'm already here. I might as well stay here. Maybe I'm the only one who's ever thought that. I don't think so. Why even bother? If I can't be perfect, if I can't actually live more like Christ, then I'm just going to keep living like me. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to sing songs, and I'm going to take communion, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to leave. Why even bother? I'm bad. Like I said, it's it's two sides of the same coin. Neither one Jesus is calling us to be. Because if we're finding victory in the things that we deem virtuous, we're going to keep on losing. We don't have an option to win. We have to get beyond sin management, and that's where we're going to continue here with what is sin management. It sounds exactly what it it is exactly what it sounds like managing sin. Guess what humans are really bad at doing? Managing sin. Okay, because sin is not something that you can kind of just take and put in the closet, close, and leave alone. Sin has the has the ability to entangle, like Adam read for us today, sin that easily entangles. And sin management works until it doesn't work anymore. You with me? It works until it doesn't work because sin management can look really, really good. I will say I was really good at managing sin until it all fell apart. I was really good at looking like the good Bible student at Harding, had all the right friends and all the right decisions and all the right things going on in life until the rug got lifted up, and you saw the mess that was underneath. Because I was living in that lane where everything was good, therefore I am good, and I didn't recognize just how much sin I happened to be managing at that time. It works until it doesn't work anymore. And when it doesn't work anymore, the wheels fall off all of a sudden. And that's not a place where you want to be alone. But the really, really good thing about this is what we read this morning. This, I think, takes this idea of sin management and doesn't make it an option anymore. Hebrews 12, I'm going to read it again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I'm going to use my thing right here. Scorning the shame. Shame is the enemy of Christ. But if we take Hebrews 12 for what it says, shame has no, per, has no part in those who aim to be more like Christ. If we believe that Jesus got on the cross and took away that shame, we can't live in this everything is good, I am good, everything is bad, I am bad, because Jesus took those things and said, guess what? No part of shame can live within you. I've taken that away. But you see, shame puts us in the mindset where we have to make our own scorecards, when in reality, the sacrifice that Jesus gave us here took away all that. And if we allow ourselves to see the cross as our victory, shame has no ability to infiltrate us if we allow the cross to be victory, if we allow our perspective to to turn away from ourselves being victorious or non-victorious and allow our perspective to see Christ as the ultimate victory, then shame has nothing to do with us. The pioneer and perfecter. He made it perfect for us. Our faith. And I'm not going to say this is easy to do. There's a reason why the writer of Hebrews talks about this being a run, and that there has to be perseverance, and that this is a race, and that we do have a participation in this. It's not something that we can just say, okay, the cross happened, and now I'm good. This is something that we have to strive to run towards with perseverance, And I'm not trying to uh, undermine the steps you need to take to avoid sin. I'm not saying that, okay, you can live your life and and sin's there, but, you know, the cross, because there is this aspect where we have to buy in, right? Where we have to allow the cross to be victory for us. But when we see the cross this way, we're able to see ourselves in a different way, okay? We talked about the two ways before. Everything is good, I am good. Everything is bad, I am bad. That's what happens when we take our scorecard from life and put it into our spiritual walks. If we see the cross as a victory, then we can see ourselves like this. Romans 8:14 and falls. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. It does not make you slaves so that you can live in shame. It does not make you slaves so that you can live in fear of continually sin managing your life, right? Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We need to change our perspective radically. ASAP. We have to stop seeing ourselves as good and bad and start seeing ourselves as sons and daughters of God. By him we cry, Abba, Father. I actually, I, I just remembered, I... To, when I interviewed here, I talked about this verse. Um, it's almost like an impulse, right? When you have a newborn baby and they're, they're crying, they want something, they see that their mother or their father and they're just reaching out because they recognize every need is going to be met by that person. That is where we need to live. Because if we keep trying to live by our own victories, by our own sin management, we're not going to achieve this relationship that God is calling us to live into. This is the victorious perspective when we can see ourselves as sons and daughters of God. And so I'll leave you with this. No one's really good and no one's really bad. Everybody's a little bit of both. But when you you accept Jesus into your life, when you're baptized and you say, I'm going to live for you, we have to live towards this rather than whatever we can create. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, the cross. I pray that this morning we're able to see the cross as a victory, that on the cross you took our shame, you took away our scorecards, our ability to be just good people or bad people, but we are sons and daughters. And God, help us to recognize that we have to be part of this, that we are not just bystanders to our own reality, that we are persevering towards this relationship, towards this sonship, towards this daughtership that is found in Christ. Lord, help us along the way and help us to recognize that collectively collectively we are better together than we are as an individual. Help us to cling to the cross and to each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have any needs at all, we are ready to receive them spiritual needs, physical needs. If you have any praise requests, we want to hear them too. Come as we stand and we sing.